Hello, my name is Katie Sando and welcome to the Marketing Forum podcast, where we learn about the professional world of brilliant marketers, communicators and creatives. In this episode, I am joined by Christian Thompson, who is the founder and CEO of Marwick Marketing. His story is really interesting. He started out as a surfer of all things with Fatface as his sponsor. He caught the marketing bug watching how Fatface's marketing team operated, and he worked with the Watergate Bay Hotel marketing team before starting his own surf school business. A few years later, he touched down in Canada and started um, his own digital marketing agency, which has now turned into Marwick Marketing. Super interesting story of how he literally went from a one-man band into what was last year the 11th fastest growing company in Western Canada. Really inspiring story and lots of inspiration, particularly if you are running your own business. I hope you enjoy. So I wanted to start off by asking you how a professional surfer manages to get himself into the marketing department of uh, of a hotel. Uh, that's a very good story. Uh, good <laughs> question. Um, so I, I guess being a professional surfer, you have to be sponsored by someone. <laughs> And uh, that typically is the marketing departments. And um, I was very fortunate in my kind of early 20s, mid 20s, to be on full salary from a um, clothing company called Fatface. And through that, I had uh, additional sponsors um, like the Watergate Bay Hotel um, and some others as well. So I actually got to uh, work pretty closely with the marketing departments in, in all those brands. And that's where I kind of like got my first experience in, in marketing. What you were surfing, um, you said you were surfing longboard. And so tell me about that. Are you literally surfing around the world? Yeah, I, I think at last count, I had surfed in 42 different countries. Um, just <laughs> back then, kind of like writing about it a lot more rather than competing. So a lot more um, around blogs and when blogs became kind of first popular and social media was being adopted. So it was it's kind of like the content creation back old school content creation like magazines and stuff yeah yeah so I actually failed English at GCSE but I've probably written about three dozen articles for a range of magazines and newspapers because of marketing myself and marketing the brands that I was associated with and but so you were also surfing though weren't you you weren't just writing oh yeah 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 I remember when I first got um I can't remember when Fat Face launched, but I remember, I, I don't know how I ended up getting it, but I ended up getting like a catalogue, like, you know, like they used to have a magazine catalogue through the, through the through post. The mail. Yeah. yeah. And um, I can't, I mean, I must have been pretty young, but um, they, I thought they did a really good job of selling the the vibe. Cause I was like, wow, look at these people camping and then like having so much fun. Yeah, they had, I mean, that's, I think it was mid-80s they launched and it, uh, Tim and Jules um, created it just to to pay their way to live on the mountains in the Alps. So they kind of kept that core vibe going for a pretty long time. And um, and when I got involved with them, they were, they were doing extremely well. I think at the time they had like 120-odd stores. The marketing department was the, made up of original you know, the original crew that had grown them from, you know, two or three guys and girls to where they were then. So they had pretty much free reign and creative free reign to continue that kind of, that vibe that had gotten from where they were to where they were at that time. So it was really cool to see. Do you think that when creative teams, marketing teams um, 
have that free reign that the result is often better or do you think it can go a bit off piece? I think in this case it was better because they they actually the marketing team at that place actually lived and breathed what they were selling. Right. So it was almost like there wasn't any real selling. It was that they truly enjoyed doing something different and um, kind of pushing the boundaries a little bit because they had they had seen it from day one. So it was. I think if they had been given free reign, but they'd just come in as new recruits, it would maybe be a little bit more disastrous. Yeah. Um, but because they they kind of truly believed in the company values and yeah. the, the brand voice and what it actually meant, then then free reign wasn't a problem. Mm. And so you watching this, that's how you then kind of got close to what what marketing was. Yeah, I just for me it was more it was the, the obviously you have the end result of like higher revenue, more sales, whatever, more lead generation. But to get there, you can be as creative creative as you want. And actually the more creative and the or the looking for opportunities and the more you did that, the more you were rewarded. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of like a really cool Okay, so it doesn't, I don't have, it's not like I'm working in finance where I have to provide this report by Friday or I'm, you know, it's um, do whatever you can to build that brand awareness and that loyalty and, and that lead generation. So that, it was really cool to, to see that. And well, it looked like they had lots of fun as well. What were you seeing specifically that you just thought like, because they were, because of the kind of things like I describe when I see like the, the like booklet and they're creating a brand story. I think it was, um, and it kind of spills over into like this, like my personal surfing as well. Like you, you obviously like to do that to get paid full time, especially back then. It, you had to. There was a lot of like um, promoting your own personal brand as well, and I think it's just that seeing them, um, either fat face or myself, like doing something like that you just create, well, that hasn't really been done before. And then seeing it evolve into something tangible, like a magazine article or a video that um, that people then are talking about. And then it's like it was just a really like from initial from seeing an idea come to fruition and then to actually be talked about. It's kind of was rewarding mm. or still is kind of rewarding. I know. It's so fun, isn't it, when you can take stuff from like literally just a bunch of people in a room coming up with ideas and then within a reasonably short space of time you're like ta-da <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and then you just have to hope it works <laughs> yeah. um so um when you decide did you decide to kind of rein the surfing in and, and move into like kind of um less <laughs> uh, <laughs> was it was, more corporate, yeah it was well there's a bit there was like a transitional period for sure so I while I was being paid by Fatface, so I realized that that wouldn't go on forever. And so what I decided to do at the time was capitalize on, I was actually, I'd been a surf coach for like a long time before that. So I decided to set up a surf travel business. And um, so I think when I was about 24, I set up Aaron's Surf Holidays and we had a surf school in Newquay and we would run in trips to the Maldives and uh, we had a surf camp surf school in a bar in Spain um and we yeah it was just crazy kind of eight years and that was not piggybacking but that was riding the tailcoats as fat face as well so all this creative stuff I'd seen in fat face team uh 
and the, you know the team at Watergate Bay as well, like do from a creative point of view, events and sponsorships and all this kind of stuff. I I did with Aaron Surf, and very quickly it became like one of the biggest, if not the biggest, um, travel companies in the world um, specializing in surfing, and in terms of volume of passengers, and then um, and a lot of that again was in the early days was like being the first to adopt um, websites that you could book online. You know, it sounds really like minor now, but like we were the first website you could actually book online. We were one of the first companies to adopt social media and then social media advertising and then SEO and all those kind of things that I was um, teaching myself along the way because we didn't have any money to put into the business. So it's easier to teach. And so then... I did that till about 2011 and then um, just through like um, uh, my wife Teresa got sick so we ended up moving to Canada which is where she's from and we left the whole surfing thing behind and I realized that a former uh, professional longboarder slash surf coach there isn't much work for someone <laughs> living in Canada so I was like, oh crap, what am I, what am I still good at? And then oh, I, no. I was like, oh, hang on, like that basically digital marketing is is what I've been doing for the last 12 years, since like you know, early 2000s. And then realized that there were a ton of businesses out there that were terrible at digital marketing and started to introduce myself. And that's where kind of in two end, end of 2012, it, it created like Marwick. Um, the, the the digital marketing agency in Canada, uh, and that was the transition into that. And now, Marwick is um, a team of twenty three uh, in still in Canada, but more recently we've moved back to Cornwall to to come full circle for for the family, but then also to open up on this side of the pond. So that's the, that's the short version of a long story. <laughs> I remember when. <laughs> really cool to move to Canada so I did one of the little tests you know you just, you can basically do like the like the entrance exam can't you to work out whether or not <laughs> I um I did really poorly because they're only ever looking for people that are working in well they were predominantly looking for like agriculture and engineers and mining and I was like not one of those people <laughs> oh man. yeah that's a yeah you should yeah, that's an unfortunate test because <laughs> I guess it depends where you go in Canada as well because there's still a lot of other things to do. Yeah, but, yeah I mean, you I married that, a Canadian, which is an, it's a different route in. It's an easier route. <laughs> it's a much wow. easier route. <laughs> oh, it's still oh, so, time, still there. I know, exactly. Um, <laughs> so I'm interested in a whole swathe of different things here. So I guess in the first instance, what I'm really interested in is you really started Marwit then from literally, you know, nothing. So um, were you, um, so you, you said you started introducing yourself to companies. Was it, were you literally doing that? Just sort of approaching and mm-hmm. saying, actually, I can help you out with this. Yeah. And it, it was, this is one of the weirdest experiences of my life, because if you're taking like the 12, 15 years prior to landing in Canada, um, because of, because of the surfing, because of the fact base, you actually, because you build up that kind of like personal brand, and you're like, if you want to do something, like if you wanted to put on a surf contest for kids, like you'd have a network of people and you can make it happen. And so at least you kind of know some, you know, you know people. It's not like, but landing in Canada, the weirdest thing was you. I literally knew no one. Like yeah. there was no, there was no network. There was no 
There was no errant surf. There was no fat face. Uh, there was so you're like no one knows you, and no one knows anything about you. And so it's, there was two ways to look at it. One was it's a complete nightmare, or one was it's an opportunity to create like maybe a version two or like a V <laughs> two. <laughs> now I know what you mean. So I was like, okay. So yeah, it was literally like um, going to chamber events and wearing a suit and tie and getting a haircut and just trying to connect with people and a laptop and like some of my first early clients were really small businesses but it, I just it just needed some traction so even now then do you find that a lot of your clients will come through network or are you at the stage where you're more likely to be found just through reputation um, and I think referrals for sure um and then our own digital marketing as well uh, yeah. yeah, which yeah. I imagine you guys are pretty good at. I think we're okay at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, tell me how then in that time period digital marketing has it has evolved because you know, like you say, um, you know, what you said you started the business in 2012. Yeah. So even in the last you know 10 years, digital marketing's like boomed, hasn't it? It's gone, yeah, it's gone crazy. And even in the last year, it's gone even more crazy. So I guess in the early days, it was more about helping companies um, update their website to something that looks a little nicer and to get them on social media. And that, and now it's more about um, conversion tracking or conversion rate optimization and, and just like getting a return on ad spend and on Google ads and all that kind of like, it's a little bit more, well, it's a lot more kind of granular and a lot more data driven. Mm. Whereas back then it was still like, why are you still advertising in the yellow pages? <laughs> you need to be, your customers have been looking for you for the last two years online and you're still spending 10 grand a year on, on these print ads. Whereas now it's more of like a, a, a very much more like holistic kind of like conversion driven um, approach do you look at businesses when they come to you then and um almost create a digital strategy which will depends on what their business is doing you'll advise certain or do you just think everyone needs to be doing everything no we so we um when i say we marwick is is very much a heavily focused agency in the in the world of like search so like organic search which is seo or um, Google ads, like search, uh, search ads. So what we're able to do, because that's really tan, like really data-driven, we can look at how websites performing right now on, in search engines, look at how many people are looking for that service, and then just by taking into consideration things like search volume, conversion rate, we can then actually say, like, if you, if you improve by X, you're going to get Z more revenue. You know, like it's very, it's, there's yeah. no, there's no flimsiness about it. It's like, okay, if you were here, this is how much revenue is being generated by these search terms. So, uh, so for every business, it's completely different. And even two businesses in the same town will have different opportunities and strengths and weaknesses based on the website and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Are there any businesses and sectors where you just think it doesn't really work because it's too expensive or because, um, you know, isn't like law really expensive? <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Yeah, law is really expensive. Um, you're like talking like like 30, 40 pounds a clip. Mm. Um, but they know like at the, you know, if they convert one in 10, that's only cost them like three or 400 pounds. And that might, that case might earn them 10,000 pounds. So it's a, it's a different game. I think where like at the other end of the spectrum, where it doesn't make sense, a, a, a low value, high or low value, um, low frequency. So like haircuts, you know, like a hairdresser's or a barbershop, you know, that the fact, the number, the cost of that transaction is low and the frequency is probably what every six to eight weeks at best for a barbershop. So spending money on search ads and, and SEO might not be the best way to, to, to spend that money. You're probably better off creating the brands on social media. You know? yeah. So there's, there's definitely some businesses that don't work well with search. Do you guys do all of that stuff as well? Like the, um, you know, the, cause there's your digital, uh, like footprint is just come. It's massive now as a business, if you want it to be, isn't it? Like you, and yeah. do you kind of get involved in all of those elements as well? Like the broader things like social and some of the other like advertising places. We do. Yeah. So we're, like I said, we're a team of 22, 23 and the 80% of what we do is search. But just because of the nature of like the digital landscape, we have like social media people in-house, graphic designers in-house, content writers, because they all kind of slightly overlap into search. Yeah. And for a lot of businesses, it makes sense to have it all in one place uh, because they do need to kind of connect. You know, yeah. the content you're putting out in blogs for SEO are going to be shared on your social media channels. So how they're shared can influence the SEO and all that kind of stuff. So it's good to have them. Yeah. I hear a lot about digital PR these days. Um, <clears throat> is that something that you guys do much of? Do you Have you heard much about it? So that's where we draw the line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. PR is, PR is like, it's such a, it's such a different channel to what we do. Um, there's some great PR firms out there, uh, even like locally, like Excess Energy and so on. Um, where digital PR plays an important role from from our perspective is is that kind of link generation and and that that footprint or away from your website so those company mentions online and so on uh, but the the art of pr is is that you know we leave would definitely leave that to the the pr firms um but we, i think there's going to i think there's going to be some seriously interesting collaborations around that though in the future where P, like traditional pr agencies then like start collaborating with like digital first agencies like you guys and there's going to be some really interesting new campaigns that we didn't think of before yeah I think we're well like we've only been in the UK since September and we're already seeing some very uh, strong partnerships around that kind of idea for sure mm. uh, definitely some come out this summer so oh that's exciting yeah I can't, that's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> Top secret. I'll keep an eye out. Top secret. Yeah. Tell me more about running an agency then. How do you find it? Because um, you have you have worked client side because you've been like in the Watergate Bay Hotel. So um, agency side, was that something when you started in 2012, was it something that you thought you would end up developing? Yes. Um, it's more around... 
the business structure. So I think that early, anyone looking to start an agency should prepare themselves for a few years of just chaos. And particularly if you're not coming in with like a whole black bank of cash and you're going to hire a bunch of people right out the gate, but you're going to be wearing many hats. Mm. And, um, and actually that's what I was doing with the Aaron Surf company. Like I never actually moved out of that owner operator mode. Yeah. And, and so when, and um, so landing in Canada and being version two of myself, I was like, okay, hey, I have to move out of this owner operator position as quick as I can. And so it wasn't about, in the early days of Mark, it wasn't about uh, making money. It wasn't about growth. It was about getting me as redundant as possible, as quick as possible. Mm. So then, then I could just focus on building the business, not working on it. Yeah. Um, so that was like uh, a good thing. So from an agency perspective, it's it's been interesting because I've been able to keep it quite fresh because I'm my week on week, month on month, year on year is cha- keeps changing uh, because I'm not in the weeds kind of doing the client work where I'd just be going round and round in circles. So that is that would be the biggest thing is to move away. Like I said to my team, probably in year three, when I started to build a team, I think we're only like five people at the time, that to, um, you know, like we'd always just, they, they love the fact that I come from a surfing background because our agency was based in the mountains. And I always used the phrase, you know, like if I got eaten by a whale surfing Tofino on Vancouver Island, what are we missing? Could you guys operate without me? So we'd always ref- trying to figure out a way to make me uh, sackable. <laughs> no, I totally buy into that. I always think that in um, <clears throat> even in a company, if you're in a tr- like fairly traditional hierarchical company, I think as a manager, if you can make yourself as redundant as possible, it forces you to be innovative. Um, but when you're like doing the day to day, it does become, you know, you're just a doer, aren't you? Totally. And that's where that agency like client relationship comes in, because like if you are a marketing coordinator or a marketing manager and, and you're on your own, like you want to be outsourcing a lot of the legwork to an agency so that you can manage the the strategy and the the people not being in the in the weeds doing the actual work because if you're a single person trying to run a company all a company's channels cross all channels but you're going to be really really busy mm. and it's going to be hard to just even you know take a break and and, and look above you know mm. so it's very similar yeah I always um used to look at what were the bits that I'm not specialist at and therefore, but also kind of cross-reference that against what's reasonably cheap to buy. Yeah. Because I would you know, be looking at a to-do list and you'd be like, I can't do all of this. But equally, you know, there are experts out there. Why would I not use them? Yeah, definitely. Like, and, and also what you enjoy doing as well, I guess. True. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are the challenges for agencies? Is there, I mean, um, is it like, the client relationships that are particularly challenging or have you found yourself pretty lucky in that way? Um, I think as long as the expectations are set out at the beginning and you, there's like very clear communication, like we've unfortunately not in the UK, but in Canada, we've let clients go because they're not communicating with us. 
And it's, and that has to be a two way thing. Like if you're, you know, like you'd expect the agencies get paid. So the agency has to communicate a lot, which a lot of agencies don't, which is mind boggling, but that also need the, the client has to communicate back. So mm. um, for like real success, like we, we don't, none of our clients are on a contract. Like we, we don't believe in like locking in anyone on a, on a contract. It's just, it, we, we work month to month and we say we work on results and relationships. If you're seeing progress, which will lead to success and you enjoy working with us, then the, the, then there's no need for us to have a contract saying you're binding for the next 12 months. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I think as long as the, as long as the clients understand that from the beginning, then there's not any issues. Like we, we want long-term partnerships. We don't want short-term cash and clients respect that. I always have a lot of respect for agencies where they are prepared to have those difficult conversations as well around things like, you know, this, this isn't really working necessarily whether or not it's because you treat our tr- team really badly or whether or not it's, um, like you say, because they're not communicating. Do you get many clients that are not friendly or do you just make sure that you just avoid them in the first instance? We have uh, a really good vetting process these days <laughs> over years of trial and fair. In like the early days of Mark, when I didn't have a vetting process at all and was desperate for any clients, I had some really bad clients mm. and they were uh, rude, unreasonable, um, cheap. Um, I, a list goes on, but you soon realize like that, like the, there's, there's good clients and there's bad clients. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's about qualifying them at the beginning and it's to the benefit of everyone, you know? And so being able to, well, it's, yeah, I don't know. it's like dating, trying to find what people that like, they're going to be a good match long-term. You know, yeah, it's not, exactly. Like the same ethos and the same approach and yeah. I think it's important. I, I do feel like being a, a good client is something that there's so much, I think, about marketing that's not taught. And that's one of the things that's not taught. Like, it, it's particularly if you're in an SME, there's nobody necessarily that walks you through, like, how to be a good client. And it's really important because it can massively impact how much you get out of an agency and how much success you get in your projects. You know, if you can't bring people on board, then you're never going to be able to get the delivery. What yeah. for you, like, are the kinds of things? So you mentioned, like, communication. Is there other, like, real specifics where you think, you know, even if it's things... So I, I think that it's helpful if you are able to to have a relationship whereby you can challenge your agency. And, you know, not in a sense where you're, like, being unreasonable, like you say, or tearing anyone down, but equally being able to have a slightly difficult conversation absolutely like i i know like i know that our team love being challenged and there's that fun, and that's that they will challenge each other internally to do as best they can but when that when that comes from like our, one of our clients or a long-term client um they enjoy it like they like to be challenged they like that so that that's always good um communication for sure um and like we like we constantly strive to be. We always imagine ourselves as literally like if you picked up our team and, and dropped them in the office in in your office, that's how they operate. And 
so what we what they also like is or what our agency likes is that kind of free flow of information as well you know like how are sales you know how how what is the strategy for next what how is it impacting the business mm. and when we get the bigger picture then then it inspires the team to find more ways to to get there as well 100%. we're very much like we the worst thing on the flip side to that is is we're not that kind of agency that you're going to pay once a month and and not hear from until the following month like the, there's that there's that kind of relationship exists in other places where it's kind of like a set and forget thing so yeah. which is really is that's no good for anyone and it's kind of boring so we we want to be the other end of that spectrum all the time I definitely think with outsourcing in in general it is about um you know like you say challenging um but also if you don't you I think it's really important to share the overarching strategy you know like the overarching business strategy but also your marketing strategy you know as a marketer and you know as a marketing consultant there's nothing more annoying when somebody comes to me and says I want you to do x and I'm like no you tell me the problem and I'll tell you what we're gonna do um yeah. <laughs> and I think it's the same with agencies like we all do it we're like oh we you know can you do this this and this and I think like actually we'd be much better off if you know we spoke to you and said you know this is what we're trying to achieve like this is what we're trying to achieve like big picture wise you guys might come up with something like a million times better as an approach than what we can come up with <sighs> yeah it's just different yeah and it it just like for even just for consideration just to you know it's better to have like a lot of time you've got like multiple um brains working on it why not you're paying them why not utilize them even if it's just to yeah to get a broader picture and you may end up going with the original idea you may take a hybrid approach to it so where do you think digital marketing is going to go well it's going crazy at the moment because of covid and Mm. it's um like last year, well, last year we were, we were the 11th fastest growing company in Western Canada out of half a million companies, not just agencies, just companies. And and then even since then, um, we've seen like a 30% increase in our in our agency and it's all out, like it's all COVID, like more and more businesses selling online, more and more businesses taking the time to have a better presence, you know, re- like, and we're talking like, like local landscaping companies wanting to finally take the time out to revamp their website, or we're talking about um, huge national e-commerce brands that are they're, they're now put, putting more more into it because they're generating more revenue. Um, where is it going to go from here? I think it it's just going to be. I think it's just it's going to be stronger and stronger. Um, you got that. You got a massive Google update coming in May. Uh, around user experience which is going to be really important for every business to pay attention to because that will impact a lot of websites that are underperforming um so i think you'll see i think you're just going to keep seeing it evolve and evolve and and who knows (laughs) which is so much so I guess in my head, there's a couple of things. So um, I always find it curious when people are recruiting digital marketing people in-house because I just, I'm not sure necessarily what they mean by that anymore. So yeah. you know, I don't think it's possible to do a marketing role without touching digital, even if digital isn't like the primary element of your strategy. You know, you it has to be digital first 
anyway? Yeah. Um, like the way we're set up at Marwick as well as we, you know, we have a, a you know, dedicated um, people within our agency that are just training and educating and keeping our team up to date. And that, like, that keeps them busy. Mm. So I can't imagine trying to run digital marketing as a, across multiple channels as a single person because it's just from what we're seeing, it's, it's almost impossible to keep up as, yeah. as, as a group of people that have the time to be taking the time to train and stay up to date. Does that make sense? hundred percent. I, I completely agree with you. And I think that's one of the reasons why I always support outsourcing digital because, um, uh, I say digital, I don't necessarily mean anything that's digital, you know, specifically things like search SEO, because it is not physically possible to stay up to date with that kind of stuff, like you say, as a single individual. Um, I mean, because Google are updating, you know, how often are you getting stuff through around updates as a, because you're a Google partner? Yeah, so we, um, we hold the premier Google partner agency badge. And, um, so the basically it's really like for those anyone listening that doesn't know what it is um it's really the only tangible accreditation agency can have globally to become an agency uh you know as we can tell i arrived in canada with my laptop and started my agency so <laughs> the barrier to entry is pretty low it's the problem um, with anything in marketing <laughs> i think is that <laughs> the barrier to entry is low yeah um, whereas so, so the first um, badge, the blue one, the prem, the, I mean, the Google Partner badge is basically if you if you have as an individual, if you have all your qualifications and you and you're managing, I think it's about ten thousand pounds a month in ad spend, and you do it well enough, then you get your blue badge, and that's it's kind of like a tangible um, certificate or accreditation. Um, ninety-eight percent of agencies will have that, or nothing at all. And then Marwick has a, the premier Google Partner Agency badge, which is the red one, and that's that's only the top two or three percent of agencies across Europe and North America have that. And the reason that one's harder is your your ad spend has to be over a million a year at least, and you need um, like a dozen or so team members that are qualified in that area. Uh, oh, and that's not that's not just Google search. That's YouTube advertising. That's Google shopping, Google mm. display, and then just like Google, like Google has an algorithm for search. It has an algorithm for how well those accounts are being run. So it's kind of like quality control. So if if we have to be optimizing our client accounts really well, otherwise we get like a traffic light red saying, oh, no. "You guys are losing it." Um, <laughs> So it's, it's, worth, to fade. <laughs> it's worth to fade and it's worth spending like a little bit of time on that because if, if you didn't know that as, as someone working in-house and you're potentially looking to outsource it, like the, the cost, the price to hire an agency that doesn't have the badge, that has the badge or has the premier badge is probably the same. Yeah. But the level of quality, a level of like mm. service you get is much stronger. So anyway, yeah, that's what... It's a real issue, actually, the uh, low barrier to entry for marketing and um, digit, well, anything in the space, isn't it? Um, yeah. You do see some horror stories as a result. But um, 
I'm really interested in less from a marketing perspective, more from a life mm-hmm. perspective. So um, I find your um, your seat, well, so CV, when I say your CV, I mean your LinkedIn page. I find it really interesting because you have very much been entrepreneurial in pretty much everything you've done. And I'm really curious as you think what you think the driver has been for that. Is that, did you mean to do that? Is it just because you wanted did you get like a, an independence thing that came through surfing that you just never really lost? Um, all right. And I had to go right back. <laughs> I think I was thinking, sorry, I was thinking about this the other day. So I started surfing when I was nine um, and I actually grew up on the, I went to school on the Isle of Wight, which isn't really that well known for surfing. And so around the age, old age of 11 or 12, I decided I was going to leave home and I wasn't quite old enough um and we were pretty broke as a family uh financially not broke but broke so i decided so i had to make money and um so i think we go the entrepreneurial thing goes back to that that point in my life because i'd take my free lunch cards and sell my lunch for a pound to a friend and cash in and take a sandwich to school so I've kind of learned, <laughs> I'd learned how to make money uh, <laughs> doing things like that. And I'd have like two paper rounds, anything I could do to like eventually save enough money so that at the age of kind of 16, 17, I got the train down to Newquay and, and moved down here. And then uh, I think there's, I thought that there's always been this thing about understanding not to trade time for money and that you can actually create money and generate money. It doesn't have to be a, you know, I don't have to go and work. There's a there's a way that it can be created. So I think it goes right back to a long time ago. You probably wouldn't be ever anybody that would get a job now. Not unless they had like a vested interest in the business that I was working for. Do you know, like I'd have to have a, I'd have to have skin in the game. I would yeah. want more than I'd want to see. I would want to be like. The, what I was putting in, I'd love to see more back than just that kind of hourly wage. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, so. I think that's the the problem, isn't it? With um, if you're an employee, but you're somebody that comes from a self-employment, I don't know, like um, motivation. I think that's the problem with um, salary is you just think like, it doesn't matter how hard I work, I'm still taking the same package home at the end of the month. Yeah, yeah. Whereas when you're like self-employed, it's like, Okay, you work with maybe loads of hours, but you do reap the reward. Totally, yeah, and it can go the other way too. Like I, I'm going to be forty this year, so I guess that's what's that thirty-one years of generating money, and I would say for two-thirds of those years, it's it's been probably negatives. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's yeah. A, or like at least half, like it's always, I've definitely worked more hours for less if you took a bigger picture. <laughs> um, but now you can, yeah, you have the flexibility and you have like all that kind of stuff. It's high risk, but it's high reward, isn't it? Like, so it's, mm-hmm. you, like you say, you get like the bad times, but then the payoff is that you're, you're working for the good times, which you wouldn't, yeah. you're not even in that space if you're an employee. No. Like and you don't. It's not like you can just close your laptop down and then go home. Like no. it's you're on. So it's a different. It's comes at a. It comes at a different kind of cost. It depends. And like some people like one way, and some people prefer the other way. 
But. Yeah, totally. How are you finding it back in Niki? Have you, um, <laughs> it's not really real life at the moment, is it? Yeah, it's funny. It's, it's, um, it's really nice. Like we, you know, we have like, it's, we have a really good community here of friends and, and, and it's been really cool to be back. Um, definitely a lot more cafes than 10 years ago. And Which is a, a good less, thing because uh, there's good coffee in those cafes. It's really good. And a lot less stag do's. Um, a lot less mankinis, which is great. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I think you keep, and it, this kind of like ties into the whole like digital world and COVID is I, I honestly, like, I feel like with Nuki, with the, the train link, the airport and kind of property prices and the beaches and stuff, like I think Nuki and, and Cornwall in general is going to become a real hub for mm. like skilled young professionals that, that, that now can work remotely um, whether that's for a company or for their own company. Mm. And I think we're going to see, I think it's just the start of what we're going to see is quite a shift. Mm. Um, you know, we had the, the surf school we had in Newquay for 10 years, pretty much every single day, we would have people arrive at the surf school and say, oh man, if I could work from Cornwall, I'd be living here in a second. Yeah. And fast forward 15, 20 years, yeah. most people can now work from yeah. Cornwall. You need to like so, drop them a line and just remind them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think it'll be, I think Nuki's going to, has like Nuki's definitely changed since we were last here and Nuki and Cornwall in general, I, I feel like it's going to, will attract a lot of people down here that can now work remotely. Mm. There's a load of like really interesting sector opportunities as well coming. It's, you know, there's thing you know, like there's this space port at the airport. There's things like the geo resources like the lithium stuff and it's um aside from the kind of more like um what was I, I was gonna say lifestyle but I don't mean lifestyle but um there's some real hard industry um sectors that are coming through it's going to be very interesting place to be yeah it's gonna be crazy and then we're like completely out of nowhere that you have the g7 I know. And June, all the places in the world that they could go to. They but then I think, but then when I think, when you think about those sectors that are coming through, it makes so much sense because um, the in terms of like the the last industrial revolution, like Cornwall probably didn't do that great. But like you're yeah. saying, with things like digital, and then with things like a lot of renewables coming through in Cornwall, it's like right, you know, actually, it's it's almost like the future place. Yeah. And we found, like, I see a lot of similarities between, like, our agency in Canada is based in Squamish, which is um, between Vancouver, the city, and Whistler, the ski resort. And Squamish, for many years, was just a logging, like, pretty, well, closed down logging town, like, pretty uh, not much going on, basically, after the, the, the factories were closed down. Um, but it's, like, the gateway to, like, outdoor adventure. Like, it, mm. they have a kiteboarding, climbing, mountain biking, all it like, some of the best of the best in Canada and we, we were one of the first people or first agencies to open that and, and people thought we were crazy but it opened it there on the basis that look we can't expect someone to work eight hours a day doing SEO or eight hours a day doing Google ads and stuff and and then just go home like we find that we've been able to attract the kind of people that we want at Marwick where they will 
work eight hours a day on SEO, but then they will be go, they will go off climbing or they're mountain biking or kiteboarding and all this kind of stuff. So I think we'll see the similar kind of thing in Cornwall is you do have that outdoor, like you have yeah. the surf and you have the beaches with walking your dog, you have yeah. all this stuff. So you can work on Zoom like that, you know, like this, and then get out in the fresh air and jump on a bike or, you know. Mm. I think it's a myth that the majority, you know, there's a, a very small minority that are finishing at three o'clock to go, go go surfing or taking an extended lunch break or whatever to, you know, like, I don't know, windsurf. The majority of people, like you say, are working a normal day, the same as everyone else, but it just you're closer to a nice what environment afterwards or before. Yeah, well, and if you like, I, what is, I think Yuki has like a million visitors a year or something crazy. Like, that's a million people coming somewhere they want to be. Why? Like, there's going to be a small portion of those people that are like, well, yeah. why don't I just live here? Yeah. Or why don't I live in Cornwall? You know, especially now. So, yeah. And um, the other question I had for you, and then I will promise I will let you actually do some work with your day. Um, <laughs> so, I'm really interested in, um, in digging a slightly deeper into what really worked for you when you were building your agency in terms of like your own advertising and marketing. So, uh, you know, if somebody's listening that's one that's a freelancer, but they want to know um, like what really worked for you in growing that business. Um, I think there, were, there wasn't one magic bullet that helped no. us get to where we are right now but there's definitely two that jump out at me it's like as soon as you said that kind of question one was uh optimizing our own website like it's a just for all the services we provided um and we like we've been doing it for 10 years and we optimize our own website week in week out for 10 years so it's it and it generates like 75 80 percent of our leads so that's there's no shortcuts around that. Like there's no quick win with SEO. You just got to do it and do it well. And then the kind of like running parallel to that, that um, and actually like tying into the whole like back facing and Watergate Bay and that creative side back in 2016, 15, um, we, when we did, or maybe even before, when we opened our office in, in Squamish and everyone thought we were crazy because it, there was no one really there, um, to draw attention to ourselves, we put on a marketing conference. And it kind of like, there was kind of the silly thing that some like fat face would have done. Like just, you're having a marketing conference in the in the <laughs> backwoods of somewhere. And... Um, by the third year, we ended up ha- we had a, attendees of, of about twelve hundred people from all over North America coming to this small town to listen to speakers from like Google, LinkedIn, Facebook, Disney, Pixar, and that I think that idea or that kind of concept would have would have been felt natural and not crazy, although it probably was crazy. Um, because of all the stuff that I'd seen in the past from like how fat based yeah. and those guys would have just gone, well, and we just put on a marketing conference and, and pretend <laughs> that this place is now the cool marketing center of Canada. <laughs> so, yeah. So I think like that, so we, we ran that, that conference for a few years that got our brand out there for free, you know, others were sponsoring the event and, um, mm. and then at the same time having that consistent like SEO, that, that consistent 
building that footprint online mm. while while doing those events and stuff I think sometimes with stuff like that it's like a li- it's almost um I'd, I guess I'd call it like lateral thinking where it's like okay so how do I advertise myself without really obviously telling everyone I'm advertising myself <laughs> yeah. um you know and I always think when you talk about Watergate Bay so you know they're like polo on the beach um you know does polo is polo on the beach selling rooms in the hotel directly no they're not selling rooms in the hotel but they you know the whole concept is about this idea of bringing people to Watergate Bay and creating a brand of Watergate Bay and therefore they also at the same time are selling the rooms and everything and it's um it's stuff like that isn't it it's not saying yeah I don't think what you're saying is if you're a freelancer and you want to get loads of business set up a conference I think you know translating what you're saying is essentially you know think of something that builds your profile right Build a profile, yeah. And like looking at the Watergate Bay thing, you know, back back when it was like their idea was their vision in the early days was very similar to the fact-based one. Like I think the, the, the original beach hut was designed in such a way that it felt like it was the Apres ski surf. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. So you'd you'd come in and you'd walk in with sandy feet and you'd have a burger and a really good hot chocolate. So it's um again, it's that vision and that, that kind of brand alignment with stuff you know like we aligned ourselves with these massive brands at the conference so that we could um, increase our brand awareness Watergate would align themselves with the ski resort or the apres thing that pe- a lot of their customers were more familiar with yeah you know surfing was surfing and family surfing especially back then was quite new mm. but family ski holidays everyone had been doing them for generations so yeah. they took that that they could um pull into the beach side and that's been a, a huge thing I think that Watergate have done really well over the years yeah I mean that's why I'm so obsessed with Judy because she's just the like the concept and then the delivery of it it's just been so impressive hasn't it yeah she's yeah she's amazing lady and um when you were uh you know <clears throat> taking yourself back before you were at the point as an agency where you were able to do those things so you said about doing things like going to chamber events and, you know, those initial connections presumably yeah. were pretty crucial. So that early, early day, like as a solopreneur, I think that's the, <laughs> <laughs> you can tell I failed English at GCT. <laughs> um, that was, is trust. It's just like, just, well, not, you don't want to, you not, don't try and sell yourself because it just smells like people see, mm. right? Um, trust. So, how do you build trust? Where you show them what they could be doing better and why, and and educating people. I actually spent probably the first two years going to the chamber events to to run workshops to educate people and show people and give them some tips and give them some advice, and and that then builds up the trust. Even if it's not directly from that group of people, they might know someone that might need help, and so on. Mm. And that that's definitely the the way to get going is to to build the trust and 90% of the time that's in what we're doing is education. And you were doing quite, so presumably you're spending quite a lot of your time for free to do stuff like that as well. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, yeah, like, like I said earlier, if I actually looked at my hourly rate over the last 31 years, it's probably in the pennies. <laughs> I know. But then I think you have to do it, don't you? It's, um, you know, well, it's, uh, I don't, I don't perceive it as work. Like I'm not, no. I don't work. I, it's a hobby. It's um, it's just life. It's just yeah. It's it's a hobby as much as surfing. It's like because it's cre- it's creative and it's all those 
fun stuff. I do think it's important to, um, I've spoken to grads in the past who are like, I don't want to do anything for free. I've just worked for, I've just studied for like four years. And I'm like, oh no, like you have to, once you leave university, you're still at the bottom essentially. Um, and it, I, I think it, you have to be prepared to give stuff away a bit in order to, to just build reputation. And like you say, that trust. Yeah, <laughs> you have to do <laughs> some for free, for sure. But not, hopefully not, or if you're good, not for long. Do you know no. what I mean? That's the thing. Like, I think that's the um I think we they it's about so I always suggest that it's about building a line with yourself in the first instance before you start and say like what am I going to do for free and what do I expect out of it so for example yeah. you know for with the chamber you're just you said you did things like workshops um you're not doing that because you're uh, like a really nice guy and you just want yeah. to, you know and I think and that's the thing is it's it's about it's not about saying um, I'll do that for free when somebody approaches you it's about like deciding in the first instance strategically what am I giving away here yeah um, and what or what are, what could I potentially get from it whether that's a learning experience or a connection or a, exactly yeah or but like when you're not learning yeah. yeah like well like you already said that so <laughs> yeah so yeah I think like especially as a, a recent grad like even just continuing your learning is a and, and you'll learn a lot from working in those environments, even if it's for free or for, you know, a lower wage. Like, it's just like... like yeah. But you've got to be strategic about it. You know, yeah. you're, you're seeking out those learning opportunities. You're not giving it away because you're desperate. It's... Um, yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much for joining us. I um, How are you managing your team in Canada from Nuki? Um, well... Remember, I made myself redundant many years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so um, no, we have uh, we have a really great management team. Well, I, actually, we have an incredible team that um, are, are very invested and trusted, and and do an amazing job running it. And then we also have a really great management team. And uh, above the management team, I brought in a, a partner, business partner, Angie, um, last summer. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it, it works well. And we have, you know, we have our, our first employee in the UK, um, Zoe, that started recently. So we're just trying to, we're going to start replicating what we did in Canada here. So, yeah, it's oh, fine. Cool. I'm very excited to see, firstly, how it develops in Nuki, but also what this campaign is in the summer that, uh, <laughs> that is a, a badass collaboration. <laughs> yeah, it will be good. It's going to cool. be fun. Thank you so much, Christian, for sharing your knowledge with us. Uh, thank, thank you. Nice chatting with you. I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Marketing Forum podcast. If you are not already, please do like and subscribe. And you can follow us on social media or subscribe to our mailing list to find out more about episodes coming your way soon.